Today on Inside Politics, a baseless political stunt. That's how President Biden is describing House Republicans' impeachment inquiry. Republicans say they're just following the evidence, though so far they haven't produced it. Plus, Donald Trump is celebrating after a judge hit pause on the election subversion case against him while appeals play out. It means his scheduled March trial could be delayed potentially for months. And more signs of an economy that's actually in pretty good shape. Stocks are at record highs. Inflation is down. Economists think the worst might be behind us. The big question is how voters see it. I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. We start today with the Biden impeachment fight. We have not yet seen evidence of wrongdoing by President Biden, but yesterday the GOP-led House voted to officially begin an impeachment investigation into matters related to his son Hunter's business dealings. It means the early months of 2024 could be dominated by impeachment hearings and potentially a trial in the U.S. Senate. Democrats say it is a political stunt when they hope will backfire politically on Republicans in an election year. I want to start with CNN's Arlette Signs at the White House. Arlette, what are you hearing from sources inside the White House and, of course, the Biden re-election campaign? Well, Dana, the Biden campaign is trying to use this opportunity, turning into it into a political advantage for them. I'm told that they started fundraising off of this impeachment inquiry vote last night. And already that email that was sent in Vice President Kamala Harris's name, it is the best performing email uh, sent by the campaign just this month. Uh, the vice president wrote in that email, quote, House Republicans just launched a ridiculous impeachment inquiry into President Biden that lacks real evidence and that they themselves admit is all about politics. So this is just one of the examples of how the campaign is trying to use this to their political advantage, believing ultimately that Republicans push to launch this impeachment inquiry will backfire on them. Uh, we have heard messaging from the campaign arguing that this is simply an attempt uh, to prop up uh, former President Donald Trump's uh, re-election campaign. That is messaging that I'm told the camp Biden campaign will continue to stress in the coming uh, weeks and months as this impeachment inquiry is playing out. And here at the White House, they have have repeated their refrains that they view this as a political stunt. You also had a very rare, a full statement from President Biden uh, just yesterday when he tried to uh, put this into a stark contrast, saying that while he is focused on working for the American people, House Republicans are focused on what he called a baseless political stunt. And what this impeachment inquiry vote does is it formalizes a process that uh, House Republicans have been engaging in for nearly a year. So far, the investigations into President Biden have turned up no evidence of wrongdoing on the part of President Biden. But what the uh, House uh, Republicans are hoping for is that this impeach formal impeachment inquiry will now give them the tools to try to seek out more information. But there is still a big question of whether this will actually lead to a formal impeachment of President Biden down the road. But it's very clear that this could become a key issue uh, heading into the 2024 campaign as Republicans uh, plan to continue these investigations into Biden while Biden and his campaign are trying to stress that they are simply doing the bidding of former President Donald Trump. Yeah, it's so interesting that reporting, Arlette, that uh, the fundraising effort off of impeachment has done the best uh, so far of any of their fundraising appeals. Thank you so much for that. Let's talk more about this with the panel here. CNN's Jeff Zeleny, Amy Walter of The Cook Political Report, Call Hulse of The New York Times, and Bloomberg's Saleya Mosin. 
Thank you. Nice to see you, uh, one and all. I, I want to start picking up where Arlette left off, which is on the reaction from the White House. I want you to listen to what Ian Sams, who is a spokesperson for the White House Counsel's Office, said on CNN this morning. We've offered over and over and over again throughout this Congress to meet with them, to talk with them, to hear about any legitimate informational needs that they may have. And time and time again, they've ghosted us. And there's a reason why. The reason why is that this is a preordained outcome. They've decided from the moment that he took office that they were going to impeach him. And this is a natural continuation of that process. Carl Hulse, you spend your days walking the halls of Congress. Are you hearing anything from, let's just start with sort of the, the evidence. Are you hearing anything from the Republicans who are spearheading this that they actually are going to be able to produce some evidence that backs up these claims I against mean, President Biden? I think Biden? so far, I don't think beyond anything that they've shown us, right, which right. wasn't uh, particularly convincing. I do think that this wasn't that hard a vote for House Republicans and that they you know, they were just voting to do what they're doing and they can explain to their voters, well, what's wrong with an investigation? Uh, but I think we've seen this movie before and it was about Benghazi. And if you remember, they're going to, they drag this investigation out. And as Kevin McCarthy famously said, it worked because we drove down Hillary's uh, poll numbers. Uh, you know, this is going to go on for a while. It goes nowhere in the Senate. And I did hear a Republican, pretty high up Republican uh, this week who said, maybe we should just censure Biden at the end of this because it, it, it'll be better or it wouldn't go to the Senate where they throw it out immediately and undermine it. So there's a lot going on here. But I do think it's, you know, this is it's going to it's the election year and yeah. this investigation will proceed. Well, you say it's about Benghazi. What we were looking at was the last time there was or the first time in the Trump administration there there was an impeachment uh, investigation an impeachment vote and his numbers actually politically went up and uh, well, it brought that's his what base right it, and, and that's the, what and the that's what Democrats you, and the Biden White House that's what they're exactly I mean if you on. look at uh, Biden's numbers over these last month or a few weeks where he's really been losing support and losing steam is with his base now some folks are saying well that's that's really driven by what's happening in Israel, Hamas, that these are younger voters who are disillusioned, disappointed in the president and the administration's stance there. Um, I don't know if impeachment is the thing that brings them home, right, versus the engagement process. And you already see the Biden campaign leaning into this idea that we have to make this a choice. We have to make it very clear to our voters that the, what the stakes are in this election. And so every week they're rolling out, here are the terrible things that Trump would do as president. Here are the terrible things that Trump has said. We need to rally around Biden, even if you're not excited about him, even if you think there should be somebody else as the nominee, even if you don't like what's happening in Israel, he is the only person to defeat the bigger existential threat. And this makes it pretty obvious. For voters, though, who aren't in Democratic camp, for independent voters or voters who aren't paying a lot of attention, I just think they see this and they're like, well, that's just business in Washington now. We just we do impeachments. That's what they do. Yeah. You know, we ha we actually have uh, some information or a clip from a focus group of voters who went for Trump in 2016, Biden in 2020, asking about this very issue about impeachment. Let's watch. Maybe support an impeachment inquiry to look into what's going on financially among the Bidens. None of you. <laughs> 
where are the facts and where are the evidence? Uh, I, I really largely think that a lot of the talk about impeachment inquiries and, and corruptness of the Bidens is political posturing and it's, it's noise. Jeff, you're on the campaign trail a lot. You just got back this morning from New Hampshire. Uh, does that comport with what you hear on the trail, particularly from voters who are not sure how to go? It does. I mean, just sort of one more example of why people don't like Washington. So in, in the short term, it may be politically beneficial for the Biden campaign. I'm sort of struck by something Arlette said. I guess it's good news and bad news that this fundraising appeal was the best of the month, because that shows one other thing, that they've struggled a little bit to sort of rally Democrats for reasons that Amy was saying. But look, you also sort of bigger picture, bigger than Joe Biden, bigger than Donald Trump, is every president now who we cover going to be impeached? Yeah. And that seems to be where this country is moving. And that is what frustrates voters. Uh, they think that politicians are in it for themselves. They think that no one is sort of acting in good faith. So as a uh, matter of American history, as a matter of why uh, normal people don't like Washington, I think this <laughs> is the reason. But front and center more immediately than that, um, is it, you know, it's the plate's pretty full that, uh, for a 2024, there's going to be criminal trials for Donald Trump, already in a, a re-election campaign, now this impeachment. So I'm not sure we know how the politics of this play. Yeah. Uh, to Democrats believe it's good for them. Uh, I don't know. It exposes quite a bit of Hunter Biden and other things that uh, turns people off. So that's on the presidential level. Right. One of the questions uh, is how this is going to affect the House and whether or not Republicans can keep the House. Listen to what Mike Lawler a moderate Republican from a very uh, vulnerable district said. Today's vote was for what? It was for an investigation or impeachment? It was for an investigation. So that, that is where we are. Um, and the facts and the evidence, not the politics, the facts and the evidence will determine any next steps. Well, it's not really an impeachment, he's trying to say. We just want to get information. Is that going to fly in a, in a swing district like his? You know, the, what we're look, seeing right now in the American electorate is that everyone is split on not just the obvious things, but also on what to do with the impeachment inquiry. Uh, Bloomberg News put out a poll today with Morning Consult that shows that 45% of Americans polled support an inquiry, 42% are opposed to it. And I think that's what we're going to see in the races, in that and the House GOP's ability to hold on to their votes in, on the House side. They are having to thread the needle to find a way to message it so that it's not an outright impeachment inquiry. It gets us the point, but we're not wearing out our voters. You know, I, we have to take a quick break, but Carl, I can't have you here and not say this because we've covered the Hill for a long time. You are still there. I mean, it used to be anathema to the notion of impeachment. Of impeachment. And now we, it's we like, had, like Jeff said. We had one in... Every 200 years, and then now we're on, what, Clinton, yeah. two Trumps, and a, a Biden. I mean, I think Jeff nailed it. This is, if the president is one party and the House is the other party, it's going to be impeachment. It's censure, all these things have been ramped up, amplified. Talk about weaponization mm -hmm. in the Congress. Well, yeah. impeachment's been weaponized. Yeah, and, and we don't have time for this, but you have to come back because I want to talk about how redistricting and gerrymandering affects impeachment. I know that really gets you excited. Uh, <laughs> In New York, it does. Coming up, Donald Trump starts to lay out his closing arguments in Iowa. We will drive out the globalists. We will cast out the communists. 
We will throw off the sick political class. We will rout the fake news media. We will drain the swamp and we will liberate our country from these tyrants and villains once and for all. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Federal judge hit the brakes on Donald Trump's 2020 election subversion case. Judge Tanya Chutkin says this case is now on hold while Trump appeals a ruling on whether he's immune from prosecution for crimes committed while in office. This means the trial's planned March 2024 start, which of course is in the middle of the presidential primary season, could be pushed back. CNN's Evan Perez is here with us. Evan, can you explain the the process and the calendar that is so impactful of not just whether or not he will be convicted, but whether or not, if he is the nominee, how voters will see him? Well, Dana, this look, this complicates the calendar, which was already a pretty tight calendar for the, the courts, for the Justice Department, and of course, for Donald Trump. What this means is that the March 4th trial date, which Judge Tanya Chutkin has been desperately trying to hold on to is absolutely in danger and this is why this is what the judge finally acknowledged uh in a in a uh, in a filing yesterday look we've all been behind the scenes certainly been very doubtful that march 4th was actually going to be able uh, to, to be the date that the court would be able to stick to that simply because of the appeals process that we knew was going to happen. We knew Donald Trump was going to go to the Supreme Court and that he is playing a delay game. And so even with the, the most generous and the most tightest of, of deadlines by the Supreme Court, by the uh, Court of Appeals, we're looking at probably, uh, possibly a decision from the just, sorry, from the Supreme Court justices, maybe in, in February. Uh, and that is really, really close to a March 4th trial date to start. So uh, what the judge did yesterday is simply acknowledge the reality, uh, which is that even if the Supreme Court, the appeals court, the appeals court, by the way, said that they're going to ex- expedite their appeal from Donald Trump, um, the Supreme Court also has, we've seen a flurry of, of, of rulings from the, from the judges saying we're going to expedite all of this process. But because this process moves so slowly, right, by, by, by comparison, 
uh, it means that, uh, you know, this is the, the President Trump, the former president, uh, is going to get his delay, at least a little bit of his mm -hmm. delay. We don't know how much, but it means that this pushes it back f further uh, into uh, perhaps uh, closer to when the nominations are, yeah. right? And that makes it, things a lot more complicated for the Justice Department. Yeah, it is interesting that it was the special counsel that started the ball rolling yeah. on what ended up being the delay because he wants he's playing the long game to figure out whether or not the former president will be immune. And you know, Dana, real quick, you know that the, pres the, the former president is making the claim that this is election interference. Mm -hmm. And if you get to next summer, you know, that argument starts holding yep. a lot more water. Yeah, no question. Thank you so much, Evan, for your great reporting, as always. The, our panel is back with us. And I want to start with uh, kind of, again, putting a little bit more of the political uh, context around this. Not that we have to reach, reach far to do that because there is so much politics involved. Uh, this is a poll uh, about whether or not voters would vote for Donald Trump if he were convicted. And the, the answer is yes, 25, no, 59. And so these kinds of questions, if this trial date uh, and others are delayed, will be moot. So far, it looks like this kind of polling doesn't affect how Trump voters think and how the Trump campaign thinks. Right. Anything that's happening is happening next year. Like your colleague just said, the deeper we get into 2024, the more it looks like election interference. But let me just tell you one little nugget. My colleagues at Bloomberg just reported today, we put out a story, that Trump is trying to turn into, and his campaign is trying to turn, in, turn Iowa into Trump Central. They are fanning the state so that they can start 2024 and the whole GOP primary se season at the top of the game so that they've knocked everyone else out of the park. At that point, no one's thinking about what the investigations mean for the campaign anymore. Except the general election they will be if he is the nominee. Then we which get is, to which election is, interference. Which is right. Or voters saying, I don't want this guy uh, to be the president. But you know, that's, that's why we have elections. Uh, before we get to that point, there is very much a Republican race going on. Uh, Jeff Zeleny, you just got back, as I mentioned, from New Hampshire. You were there for a couple of days. And um, one of the things that happened was that the sitting governor, Chris Sununu, endorsed Nikki Haley. That happened a couple of nights ago. And Chris Christie, who is close to Governor Sununu uh, and playing for broke in New Hampshire, was not that thrilled about Governor Sununu's decision. Here's what Christie said on the campaign trail. Yeah, we've been happy to accept the support, but I would have known exactly what it meant. It meant one vote. And it would have been nice to hang around with him, and we could have done a funny show like he and, and Nikki are doing. But in the end, these voters are not going to be told by anybody who to vote for. What am I going to say? Congratulations on a bad choice. I don't know if you could hear that first part, but his line is, well, what did I get Nikki Haley? One vote, which is basically saying Sununu doesn't bring a lot of... Yeah, we'll see. I mean, there are more than one uh, Sununu up there, so he probably brings some <laughs> Sununu votes. Uh, you know, uh, brother, former senator, a father, former governor and chief of staff. But anyway, uh, look, I mean, it is a big question uh, what endorsements actually mean. We're going to get a good sense of that. Once again, some fresh evidence that uh, endorsements, you know, you'd rather have them than not. But, uh, 
Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in Iowa. He has the endorsement of a very popular Iowa governor, Kim Reynolds. Now Nikki Haley has the endorsement of uh, Chris uh, Sununu. So we'll see. I mean, he's not popular among the base. I mean, he's not popular among Trump voters who are going to remain Trump voters over this. Where he is popular is, as he told you in the interview, and it's obvious seeing him, uh, is among independents and moderates. And he brings an organization with him. So that is what her campaign is hoping for. And Chris Christie will admit, he's said it to all of us, he would have loved the endorsement. Yeah, and and this is about, and just to underscore the point you were making, Jeff, this is about uh, who is going to be the Trump alternative coming in New Hampshire and then coming out of New Hampshire. And one of the <clears throat> issues that uh, is out there and that Chris Christie is really pounding Nikki Haley on and did so yesterday in New Hampshire is the issue of abortion. Chris Christie thinks that Nikki Haley uh, doesn't give specific enough answers really on anything he says, but specifically abortion. Let's listen to some of that. My heart absolutely breaks for her. When I say we need to have compassion, this is exactly what I'm talking about. When you look at someone's experience, we should never want to see someone with a rare condition who has to deliver a baby. She said, we should deal with this with compassion. And my heart goes out to the mother. This is a continued disturbing pattern on Governor Haley's part. If the question's really hard, she wants to make everybody happy. This matters for the kind of voter that each of them is appealing to in New Hampshire. Well, this is, at essence, the challenge for Haley and has been for Christie all along, which is there simply isn't a big enough pool, even in New Hampshire, of moderate independents who both dislike Donald Trump, who would like to see more, uh, would like to see abortion access to be as what uh, maybe what Chris Christie is is looking at, more liberalized abortion access, um, who will show up and vote in a Republican primary. In other words, Sununu, um, instead of helping her break the ceiling that she has right now in terms of the kinds of people she's appealing to, he's only, I think, highlighting um, the, that, that ceiling, which is the kinds of Uh, Republican voters who already have decided they want to move beyond Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. she's their choice. Mm -hmm. But for those voters who like Donald Trump, think he can win, and by the way, the CNN poll in New Hampshire, 57% of Republicans in New Hampshire think Donald Trump can win. Mm -hmm. In um, November. In November. Mm -hmm. uh, How is Sununu's endorsement going to tell voters in New Hampshire and in other states that... um, she is the better candidate for those people who still like Donald Trump and still think yeah. he can win. I mean, they're trying to get, as George H.W. Said, uh, Bush said, the big mo. Let's see if it happens. Yeah. Everybody stand by. Up next, Joe Biden's border bind. The president has a chance to make a big deal with Republicans on the issue of immigration. The question being asked at the White House and the Biden campaign right now is what will progressives do? Welcome back. President Joe Biden and congressional Republicans are in closer to a deal on immigration policy changes uh, and to do that in order to get aid for Ukraine and Israel. But the president does face an uphill battle to get his own party on board, as do Republican leaders getting their right flank on board. CNN's Priscilla Alvarez joins me now. Priscilla, what are you hearing about negotiations right now? 
Well, all indications right now is that there has been some progress, but exactly what that is is still unclear. What has been clear, though, Dana, is that the president has said repeatedly that he's open to compromise, but that means compromising on one of the most delicate political issues for this White House, which is the handling of the U.S.-Mexico border. And the growing urgency by this White House to get money to Ukraine and Israel is putting Democrats in a very difficult position. One, telling me that it is putting them in a box because they're having to embrace and support some of these concessions that are very similar to the Trump administration and ones that not very long ago Democrats were criticizing. Now, sources tell me that some of these concessions by the White House include, for example, expelling migrants without giving them the chance to seek asylum at the U.S.-Mexico border. That's reminiscent of the COVID-era restriction known as Title 42, as well as raising the credible fear standard for asylum seekers, more deportations, and also expanding detention. Again, these are all difficult pills to swallow for progressives who for years have slammed the Trump administration for taking a similar path when it came to the U.S.-Mexico border. And now it's the White House, the president, who seems to be open to all of these to get that Ukraine aid to the finish line. So interesting. Priscilla, thank you so much for that reporting. Our panel is back here. Carl, uh, again, not to just keep walking down memory lane for, for you and I, but I mean, how many offices have we stood outside for years, for almost two decades as they negotiate some grand bargain on immigration and these issues are so tricky, so complicated, so political that it falls through. I talked to somebody involved in these talks this morning mm -hmm. who said that they are actually making real progress. I know you've been doing reporting on yeah, this. Yeah, I was uh, in the Capitol this morning and Chuck Schumer was over in Mitch McConnell's office, not a place he hangs out a lot, by the way. <laughs> and they seem to be seriously trying to get a deal. There's a lot of reasons for this seriousness. Both Senator McConnell and Chuck Schumer, for once, want the same thing, mm -hmm. and they want it very badly. Uh, some of this is optics. They need to be seen to be really working on this, and so if they don't get a deal, at least they'll have tried really hard when they leave and they get hammered for not finishing this. Uh, on the counter to uh, what she said, there's a lot of Democrats who think this is good politics mm -hmm. for them, right? Uh, and that uh, taking some action on the border would help people in tough races like John Tester in Montana, Sherrod mm -hmm. Brown in Ohio. So there are some Republicans who run around and say, why should we even help the uh, yeah. Democrats on this? I think, but in terms of, it is kind of hard to think of doing a back of the envelope immigration deal. Uh -huh. The key here is it's not the big immigration it's not, deal. It's but not it's something. Doc, it's not everything. It, but it is real things. But they think that by limiting these, they can perhaps get a deal. I'm still skeptical. I'm, I'm willing to be convinced. But they do actually seem to be trying. But there's a lot of Republican rank and file senator uh -huh. types who don't want anything to do with this right now. And they keep saying, well, I need to see some text. Well, yeah, that's. I mean, this is what always happens. You're right. It's obviously much more narrow. But it's the people who don't have a lot to to win or lose because of the politics of their home state who would rather sink it than, than get a, a change in policy. Let's look um, kind of more broadly at the stakes, the political stakes, and why this is this issue of immigration is so important. CBS asked the question of the most important problem facing the country. Inflation is number one. Right behind it is immigration and the border. And now let's look over to a Wall Street Journal 
uh, question about border security, who would handle it better. I mean, it doesn't even come close. Joe Biden is just getting um, killed by Donald Trump, uh, double, more than double the support on this issue, which is why, yes, you're talking about the Senate politics, but for President Biden, maybe he's going to say, this is more important to me than making my progressives angry. Well, that's what we've come down to. When he campaigned in 2020, he campaigned like a moderate, and he's been governing a lot like a progressive, because there's a lot of progressive Democrats in on Congress. There's a lot of progressive Democrats who have made it into the White House and different agencies, and he's having to listen to that wing. And now we're kind of starting to see deeper cracks in what happens when you make those swings. So again, we're talking about what we're going to do for this policy this time and how that's going to pan out for the general election. That tension is strong. Let's listen to what the chairwoman of the Progressive Caucus, Pramila Jayapal, said about these talks. We have to put together a coalition that is the same coalition we delivered in 2020 for him to win the White House, for us to win the Senate, and for us to take back the House. Mm -hmm. And that coalition involves a lot of young voters. It involves a lot of immigrant voters. It involves a lot of folks of color. And this issue of immigration is critically important to them. I, I just don't know that I think this is the issue that's going to be the the main factor here in energizing or not energizing that coalition to get out to the polls. Mm -hmm. I think the issue of the border is a real problem for Democrats and, and for Biden. And voters are seeing it, whether you're an independent voter or a Democratic voter, the sense of competence is a real question rather than just the issues around uh, asylum and other issues ar around immigration broadly. And look, the contrast between a Biden, who can say, I worked in a bipartisan exactly. measure to get things that even Republicans agree with. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump wants to go even further. Mm -hmm. And as we know, there's reporting on talks of mass deportations, putting people in, in yeah. camps around the border. I think that contrast is pretty strong. And so for progressives, I, I do think that may be the bigger issue than what whatever comes out of that the House and Senate, if it can get passed the House, yeah, and, which is and, the bigger question. And taking Carl's uh, very well-informed uh, skepticism into uh, account here, if they actually get something done, this is how it works. When you make a compromise, you make the people, on the, if you're a Democrat, on the left angry, you make the Republicans on the right angry, yep. and you get the votes by having the middle. And what you can claim is you have a government that's functioning. Maybe it's not perfect, but it's at least trying to function. Yeah. Without a doubt. And that's what the Biden administration is hoping for. The Biden campaign is hoping for. Uh, look, I share the same uh, skepticism that uh, Carl has, my former uh, writing partner. I think that, look, uh, it is a difficult lift. But as Amy was saying, yes, progressives are not going to like this, but add it to the list. <laughs> yeah. The Biden campaign is hoping that those Trump policies that you were right. talking about are actually the motivating factor for young That's progressives. Right. And they may or may not be. I mean, that is a big challenge for the Biden administration. But uh, issue one is if they can get something on the deal um, um, on the border, it's not just a border issue anymore. Look in cities across the yes, country. Right. Go to Chicago, go to Denver. Uh, Republicans have, um, have been very skilled at sending uh, migrants up. So this is a national issue. You know what was telling to me last weekend, Dick Durbin of Illinois, probably the biggest advocate in Congress for DACA and liberal immigration policy said something has to be done. Yeah. And he's not That's pushing to have 
DACA included in here, the, the, the program for people brought here is, and I, I, to me, yeah. that was something that caught my attention. That's really, I didn't hear that. That's really interesting. Okay. Thanks, guys. Great conversation. Coming up, stocks are at record highs. Unemployment is at historic lows. Inflation keeps falling and the economy keeps growing. So is Bidenomics actually working? Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Look at that. The Dow Jones index is above 37,000 for the first time. Stocks soared yesterday after the Fed signaled it's done raising interest rates. Inflation is falling along with the chances of an election year recession. That's what the statistics tell the U.S., but Americans are telling us something different. Gina Gina Smilek of The New York Times wrote a comprehensive piece on this very topic this morning and joins me now. Thank you so much for being here. Again, let's just do a little bit more on the statistics and I want you to sort of fill in the blanks. Let's look at inflation, which is what people really, really feel every day. The highest it was, 9.1% back in June of 2022. Now it's at 3.1%. Is that something that Americans should be feeling when we go to the grocery store, go to the uh, gas pump and so forth? It's absolutely something people should be feeling. But I think it's important to sort of talk about what that actually feels like. Mm -hmm. You know, I think sometimes when you talk to people, when I talk to people out in the world and I tell them that inflation is falling, what I'll hear back is, oh, but prices are so much higher than they used to be. Mm. And there's a difference between price levels falling and inflation falling. You know, what 3.1% inflation means is that prices are still going up 3% on an annual basis, which is a little bit faster than it used to be, but much slower than what we were previously seeing. But that means the price levels are still quite Quite a bit higher than they were. In so that speaks to why people aren't feeling it uh, as as they should. If you just look at the raw numbers, I mean, the latest CNN poll asking about how people feel. Forty three percent of respondents said that they are very worried about the state of the economy, and forty one percent said somewhat more worried. I mean, if you add those two numbers up, that is, I mean, those are some big, big numbers. Almost two-thirds of Americans. Yeah, and consistent with what we see across a whole range of polls and consumer confidence surveys, it does seem like people feel pretty bad about economic conditions right now, which is interesting because typically when you have an economy like this one with very low unemployment, solid job gains, good wage growth, all of these positives, you would expect people to be feeling better. But it seems like those price levels and a couple of other things are just really weighing down people's optimism. So the constant challenge for the Biden White House, for the Biden re-election campaign and Democrats generally, it was, the challenge was actually the numbers when they first came in and things were really bad, genuinely bleak. And now it is, again, just going back to that feeling, how people feel, they're trying to change that. And the, look, I just wanna give one example of an ad from the Democratic National Committee of how they're trying to do that. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are investing in our community. These policies are helping to support small businesses like mine, allowing us to really grow and create jobs. We have a president that actually just cares about the work. It cares about doing stuff that helps everyday people. 
My colleague David Wright added up how much money the Biden campaign and the main group supporting it have spent on this particular message on the economy, $11.9 million on broadcast television. Um, do you have any sense that it's penetrating? Yeah, you know, I think it's a really interesting question. I think that there certainly was a feeling when you would talk to people a few months ago that the administration hadn't paid a lot of attention to this issue, that there wasn't a lot of economic messaging come out, coming out, that people weren't people within the White House weren't aware of how hard it was to buy a house for the first time, for example. And so I do think we've seen this pivot towards more of a focus on economic messaging. Um, and, you know, Lael Brainerd, who's the NEC director, gave a speech on housing affordability just this last week. And so I think we are seeing this message much more in a much more devoted way. And so I think that that could penetrate potentially. Gina Smiley, thank you so much. It's great seeing you. Thank you. And up ahead, the Supreme Court takes up critical cases that could reshape the 2024 election, abortion access, and January 6th prosecutions all on the docket. The stage is set for another series of nail-biter decisions from the Supreme Court. Justices will hear several critical cases in 2024 that could have real impacts on the 2024 election. CNN's senior Supreme Court analyst Joan Piskupic is here to break it all down. Joan, first, let's talk about the arguments over access to the abortion pill. You know, this takes us right back to the court that started it all uh, about a year and a half ago when it reversed constitutional abortion rights nationwide. This involves women's access to a drug that has become the most common method for women who need to end a pregnancy, the most common method to do that. And it's it, the case does not challenge the core year 2000 approval of the drug, but rather restrictions. Dana, how easy is it to get the drug? Can you get it through telemedicine? Can you pick it up? Do, must you pick it up in person or can get, you get it uh, through the mail after you've been approved? Can you get it at 10 weeks into your pregnancy or just seven weeks? Those are the crucial questions in this case. And it also involves, Dana, the authority of the Food and Drug Administration to decide what drugs all sorts of drugs, cancer drugs, diabetes drugs, epileptic drugs, you know, what drugs are safe and effective or in situations where lower court judges might second guess that as happened right here in this case. Yeah, obviously this is gonna be very impactful on the election. Another issue that the Supreme Court said that it will consider is uh, one that has to do with the January 6th attack. If you look at that and then the broader question about yeah. whether or not they are going to uh, give Donald Trump immunity from prosecution on the allegations against him. Uh, these are all very, very uh, important when it comes to the 2024 election. And so, Joan, my question is, I know they're supposed to be apolitical, <laughs> but you know these justices, how much will they consider the election as they make these choices. Look, they, they know the election's looming. You know, when Jack Smith, the special counsel, uh, made his plea to the justices on Monday, I'm sure there was, you know, plenty of trepidation, but they knew, they know they're going to have to decide whether Donald Trump is immune from criminal prosecution at some point. And I think Jack Smith made a good argument for why it should be sooner rather than later. Dana, you and I have been doing this long enough that we remember. Even back in 1992, there was a, crucial, a big election year. There was a crucial abortion case. The justices have decided Bush v. Gore in the year 2000. 
you know, deciding the election right there and then. So this is not something they're unaccustomed to. Mm -hmm. And they try to get, they try to uh, get away from that, all those atmospherics. But we know that it affects them. It's just a matter of how it affects them, Dana, and which way they'll go based on that, include, and also on the law of the land. Oh, yeah, there's that. <laughs> Joan, Joan Biskupic, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you it. for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after the break. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.